morning if you want to turn there in, in your Bibles. Next week, um, I will be back in our study of the book of Ephesians, because if you've been attending around here for any length of time, you know typically we're teaching the Bible one book at a time, but I've just been impressed to do this worship series uh, through the Christmas story surrounding the Magi, and I really appreciated that song, The Offering, because it, it fits so perfectly here. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This is truly a story of worship. That's the motivation and the intent here. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's just pause right here and just prepare ourselves for this, uh, this time of teaching. And uh, just as you're quiet before the Lord, I know it's been a busy season. It's awesome that you've taken time and made it a priority to worship this morning, to come together with God's people. And I know that, that some of you are carrying concerns, people you love and you're thinking about, praying for. Some of you are carrying, cons carrying concerns for other things going on in our world. Uh, maybe it's uh, what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. concerning the fiscal cliff, or maybe it's what, what the New Year is going to bring. Uh, whatever it is, would you just take a moment and give your cares to the Lord? And then consider the state of your heart. Are you open to what God has for you? Uh, please, it's not about me standing here and teaching the word. It's about God speaking through his word and you being willing to hear what he has to say to you today. Thank you, Lord. Speak into our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you picked up my emphasis on worship because this is a, a story of worship that we find here in the scriptures, and last week I began this two-part mini-series on worship, so it's not just about the fact that it's the, the, the Christmas events that we're seeing here, but it's about this whole idea of worship. What can we learn about worship from these magi? And I just want to just go
go back just for a few moments just to get everybody on the same page and just point out some things that I felt were personal highlights so far in this study. First off, I am amazed when I consider how many people, especially Jewish leaders and religious scholars, who though they were in the vicinity of these events, and though they knew the scriptures, and though they were very diligent in, in their religion, and though they had been looking intently and expecting the Messiah to come at any time, they had no clue as to what was going on around them concerning the events of Christ. I find that fascinating. And if you compare that to who these guys are, these magi, irreligious stargazers who traveled miles because of their awareness and interest in this strange phenomenon in the sky, which somehow they were able to interpret as to exactly what it was about, exactly what it meant, and they were willing to put their lives on hold for a time following the star in order to come and worship the king of the Jews. They knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly who it was they were going to see. And I think the, the valuable application right here is God help us not to get so caught up in some form of religion or form of worship that we miss out on the greater thing that God is doing or that God wants to do. Help us to have eyes to see him and to follow his lead. And then in verse 9, after they had left Herod's palace, they were once again guided by the star uh, that, had, that had led them thus far. And, and on seeing that star, it says they weren't just joyous, it says they were overjoyed. And right there, we need to consider ourselves in what is our attitude in coming together with God's people? Do we approach it kind of haphazardly or do we approach it with anticipation? Do we approach it with gladness? And then this week as I'm reflecting over these thoughts, then God just gave me a new thought here and that is worship that stirs this kind of gladness always comes with a price. It always comes with a price. And, and as I had that thought, I was immediately drawn to David when God asked him to build an altar, this was right after David had counted his men and, and God didn't like that. He didn't like them assessing how many people he had under his leadership. But all of this ultimately leads to the building of, of the temple. And when David found the right place for this altar to be built, the owner of the land was willing to give it to David freely and David's response was this. This is from 1 Chronicles 21, verse 24. It says, But David replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Wow. It's about a heart for God that I want to truly give something to God that is a sacrifice. These magi, Irreligious stargazers, these guys traveled for what could have been as much as three years or more. Could have been months, could have been two years, could have been three years based upon what uh, Herod's response. We know that they're like, they were uh, likely traveling two years, but they, they paid a huge price in pursuit of the star. And then somehow they knew the significant gifts that they needed to present once 
they saw this child, once they saw this king of the Jews, I don't know if they, they knew it would be a, a small child or not, but they definitely knew it would be the king of the Jews. And because of that price, they had great joy. And, and sometimes I wonder if we need to consider in our Western culture where we've been so exposed to the, to the church and to worship, if, if, if sometimes we're not... We, we don't approach it with gl greater gladness because it costs us so little. <laughs> and we become comfortable with the prices that, that we've come to understand we should pay in, in worship. And, and how is it that we can approach worship realizing that God is worthy of everything that we have? There are literally people throughout the world right now, in fact, places where the gospel is just exploding but for people to come together in worship, they're, they're paying a huge price. Some ending up in prison, some giving their lives. And let's not take our privilege in this country of the freedom that we're afforded. Even worshiping in a public school like this, let's not take it for granted, okay? But let's consider what are we truly giving to the Lord. And then this is where we left off last week in, in verse 11, where we saw they bowed down. And I emphasized that the words bowed down don't cover it, because what's actually expressed here is that they fell to the floor on their faces before this child, which would, which would be expressions of, of reverence and adoration. And this whole idea of bowing down before Christ, bowing down before God, it's a common theme throughout the scriptures. We looked at, uh, at some of those last week. But wait, may we so recognize the presence of God with us that we are willing to humble ourselves before him. And then we looked at this verse, and let's quote this. Let's, let's share this verse again together. This is uh, Psalm 95, verse 6. Let's, would you read this with me? Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Yeah. And so this takes us now, we should be pretty much caught up. There was a lot more last week. It's worth listening to. If, if you have time, you can listen to it online. But verse 11 Going back here, it says, On coming to the house, this is the place where the child was, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. Now, looking at commentaries, and, and I do that, you know, in, in my study time, I, I feel mostly when I, when I go to study that I'm like a racehorse out of the gate. It's almost like God tends to be giving me stuff before I consider what else is out there, but I always like to look at that and see other things that people have discovered, and it seems like most commentaries want to talk about how expensive these gifts are. And and it is true that the word treasure is used here, but the word treasure could simply refer to a deposit that's being made, or it could be talking about offering things that are significant to the one whom the gift is being given. Now, I realize that anytime you give gifts of gold, you're going to give an expensive gift. And, you know, I always have these great ideas of, of wonderful jewelry I'd like to buy from my dear wife, Valerie. And then I look at the price tag and I think, okay, so what else can I do <laughs> in all of this? But so giving gifts of gold is an expensive thing. But I don't think we can assume that all of these 
gifts are expensive, okay? And what I prefer to look at and what I've really appreciated is the prophetic potential of each of these gifts and how they represent potentially who this child is. And it looks like this quickly. Gifts of gold, gifts fit for a king. Gifts of incense, gifts fit for a deity or a god. Gifts of myrrh, gifts for someone who has died, or in this case, recognizing that this child has come to die. Jesus is king, so they bring him gifts of gold. Jesus is God, so they bring him gifts of incense. Jesus has come to offer himself as a sacrifice, and therefore they bring him gifts of gold. But this morning, I just had to to consider, thanks to the prompting of a friend, to consider the possibility of these gifts representing aspects of what it is that you and I have to offer Jesus as king. If you were to present Jesus with a gift, and it were a gift that truly cost you something, what would that gift be? Okay, I, you know, I just went and saw um, the miserables, love miserable, and did I say that wrong? I'm fine? Okay, good. This is a team effort here, you know. I have never, listen, I cry at about anything, and I have never cried at a movie like I cried at this movie, because, man, and I don't like even promoting movies, but it's there, man. The power and the love of God is, is, is in this movie, and, and you want to talk about miserable, man, I was just weeping, and Valerie looked at me, and she's laughing at me, and just because... <laughs> She looked at me at that moment. I'm, I'm just in, in incredible, incredible tears. You know, and, and the, I'm sitting here saying, why am I telling you about that? It's because my brain went to the little drummer boy, and I cry when that little drummer boy, you know, the old, you know, the old version. <laughs> I think we still have it on VHS, and so our TV, we have to do the narrow screen and watch that thing, and I'll play my drum for you, you know, truly giving something. But the Bible says this, as far as it tells us what God wants from us. Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God. And and understanding that, saying what God wants from us, and then it says, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And what that's talking about is when we come to the end of ourselves and we recognize that going our own independent way isn't getting us anywhere, it's then that we turn around, <laughs> that's repentance, and we give ourselves to him. Tired of doing it my way. It ain't working. Okay, that's what God wants from us. Broken. So let me read the whole verse. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise okay yeah now Romans 12 1 is another perfect example of what we can bring to God it says this therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy so what that's saying to this point is in light of the incredible kindness that Jesus has shown to us by shedding his blood on the cross offering himself in our place taking our penalty upon himself so in light of that (coughs) Offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices. Get the image of gifts there. Do you see it? That's the gift to give God. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So this is the right gift to bring. But considering these three gifts the Magi gave, what if potentially they represented the threefold nature of who you are? Spirit, soul, and body. What an interesting thought to consider. And this is what I want to look at with you today. And we find all three of these described in 1 Thessalonians 5, where the Bible says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. So it's actually painting a picture for us of being ready when the Lord returns fully, spirit, soul, and body. Not written there for the intention of these things being parsed or divided or looking at separately, but at the reality of them being a presentation of your whole self to God. Still, I was inspired to consider each of these individually. Gifts of the Spirit, what would that be? That would be gifts of gold, gifts fit for a, t a king. If you look at the symbol for gold on the periodic table, it's capital A, small u, which is taken from the, the word arum, the Latin word, which means shining dawn. Friends, God is light. He is the shining dawn. He is the new day. And left to ourselves, we don't have a whole lot of shine in us. But when we allow him into our lives, it's then we become reflections of his character so that worship, worship becomes a reality or a reflection of a greater work that God is doing inside of us. It's an overflow of a greater work. In fact, you should be familiar with Jesus talking to the woman at the well about the temple and her understanding of it being destroyed and so forth. And Jesus says to her, a time is coming and has now come when, she, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, those things are working together, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And then he reemphasizes it, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So right here, just the reality that worship can't be about going to a building or going to a church or a synagogue. We can worship wherever we are. We can, you can worship wherever you are. It's good to come together collectively, even collectively in a high school auditorium in a day when there's no prayer in school. I just think that's cool right? Worship is not a matter of whether the sermon spoke to you, though the teaching is a part of our worship as we understand it. Worship is not about the music and whether or not it hit the right harp strings in your life, okay? It's not just about that, though music plays a part. Worship is not about some liturgy or or how those scriptures that are shared, or those prayers that are shared, how they happen to minister to you personally. But the things of worship that the Father desires are those things that are overflowing from His Spirit at work in the core of who you are. And without the Spirit involved in worship, 
we're falling short of what God has for us. The word spirit, from the word pneuma, which means the breath to breathe into, that all life flows from the Father, our existence flows from the Father, and that there is an overflow of His Spirit at work. And this is why sometimes during uh, worship or at different times in the service, I will just ask you to offer expressions of worship to God. And some of you are sitting there like, I don't know what to do. This is making me all nervous. I'm uncomfortable with this. And, and my concern as your pastor, pastor is I realize from my Catholic upbringing, it's so easy for me to sit down in prayer and say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And to go through that whole prayer. In fact, when I was a kid, you know, my mom challenged me. I was about 10. Michael, do you pray? And then she said, at least say the Lord's Prayer before you go to bed at night. And man, I got really quick at it. You know, our Father, I just had to get those words out because I wanted to honor my mom. Friends, there are expressions of praise and worship that are in you because God's Spirit's working in you. And we need to learn to practice getting away from the words on the screen, the words on a page, and just allow worship to flow. Okay? Yeah, so the application is that we so surrender to Christ as King that His Spirit is in us like living water and overflowing from us, which results in expressions of worship, okay? We see that as a desire of God, part of it, part of you presenting yourselves to Him. Well, how about soul? Gifts fit for a God. Frankincense, interesting. Historically, the Jewish people would have understood this because even at the tabernacle and in the temple, there was always the altar of incense which gave forth the sweet smell uh, of smoke. And, and what these gifts represent are gifts acceptable to God. Gifts acceptable to God. In, in the Old Testament, this would have been an animal sacrifice without blemish, given with a proper heart. But the Old Testament offerings were only a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ. Okay, The, the fragrant aroma was Jesus' sacrifice. Not a fragrant aroma because you and me sinned and his son had to die for our sins. That's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about Christ's death becoming the acceptable offering in the face of a holy law that had to be justified. And the fact that because Christ satisfied that holy law, the due penalty that we deserve, that Christ has now made a way for all who will believe to come before the Father without fear, but with full confidence, okay? Now, we could decipher that and say full respect, and in that sense, there's an element of fear, but not fear of, you know, what's going to happen to me if I stand before a holy God, but to stand before him with confidence, knowing that Christ has made a way for you to approach the Father. This is what's going on here, and in our response to accepting Christ into our lives, we too become this fragrant aroma to God as we, by an act of our wills, present ourselves to him. So not only does worship include this idea of the overflow of the spirit, but it also includes an act of our will of placing our lives into his hands, 
which I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, um, you know, at, at least a daily thing. Because I tend to be one of those living sacrifices that likes to keep crawling off the altar. And that's one of the reasons we need to come together like this, is to remind each other, where are you positionally with God? Are you giving yourself to Him? So that this gift that we present includes our personalities, our consciences, our minds, our wills, and our emotions as we surrender to Him. Frankincense thought to be the image of transformation as that smoke ascends as, as, as this acceptable offering. So the application here is that by an act of our wills, that we present ourselves to him as sacrifices, allowing to him to have us for his sacred purposes. That is the act of worship, according to Romans 12, 1. Give yourself to him. Present yourself to him. It's interesting, I wanted to take these out of order, and I'm trying to order, uh, honor the order that's given here, you know, um, because there's almost a sense that it's only in presenting ourselves to him that we're allowing him to have full access through the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so valuable, valuable. The third thing is the body, and that's gifts of, of myrrh. So by presenting this child with gifts of myrrh, these magi are, are giving the prophetic acknowledgement that this child has come to die. But that's not the end of it. Not only did the child come to die, but this child has come to overcome death. That's the reason for the myrrh is it's used as a, kind of a, a treatment of embalming so that the body can be preserved for its future resurrection. In fact, if you look at Jesus' burial, uh, you know that Joseph of Arimathea offered his tomb, and so the disciples and Joseph are taking <coughs> Jesus to the tomb in John 19, and they put together this, this mixture that's composed of myrrh and aloes. In fact, the Bible says a 75-pound mixture that they used to treat Jesus' body in, its, in his death. Okay, acknowledging that, that they wanted this body to be preserved for its, its resurrection. And, and to die to Christ, to give ourselves for him, is to allow him to become that treatment, if you will. To become the myrrh and the aloe, the substance, to treat our bodies. <coughs> so that it's in our dying that we truly come alive for doing life on this world and experiencing uh, life as he intended it, but also with the understanding of our hope of a future resurrection. So it's coming alive to the reality that in our dying, we experience real life. So that when the things of this world begin to press in and we begin to wonder if our freedoms as believers are going to be taken away and what's going to happen to the church and all of these kind of things that we say, you know what, God is in control, I am not in control, and I place myself again as a living sacrifice, dying to self, offering myself to him, uh, recognizing that, that, that my hope is in eternal things.
Okay, this is what this is about. So gifts of the Spirit, allowing Christ's Spirit to have such full reign in our lives that we worship Him out of the overflow of what He's doing in our lives, that's gifts of gold. The soul, by an act of our will, presenting ourselves to Him as living sacrifices that are set apart for His sacred purposes. Gifts of incense, a fragrant aroma. And then the gifts of the body that we recognize it's by dying to self that we come alive to the things that God has planned for us. This is offering yourself completely to God, and this is the reasonable act of worship. But there's one more thing that I see in this text, and that's verse 12, and, and we'll end with this. It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And right there, I, I had to stop and, and think for a moment that all of us need to be warned in a dream never to go back the way from which we have come. <clears throat> Excuse me. All of us need to be warned in a dream never to go back the way from which we have come. It's, it's a common theme in the scriptures. Moses, here he is, <clears throat> going to Egypt to uh, set the Hebrews free from slavery. Now, you would think, what a great gift. But the problem was, the road through the wilderness required faith. In other words, every day they had to, again, trust God for, for their security. They had to trust God for their provisions. Uh, they had to trust God for everything. Whereas, as slaves... They were given these meager provisions, and they were given a false sense of security. Because Egypt represents death and bondage. That's what this is all about. And friend, once you've encountered Jesus Christ, <clears throat> he is the path to liberty. It means putting behind us all of those false things, the meager provisions and the false sense of security, and to keep moving forward, trusting God every day for the things that he has promised. And yet we have this tendency to want to keep looking back. Keep looking back. Are we missing out on something? What is God keeping from me? And friend, there's nothing there. It's the way of death. It's the way of the grave. So what we need to do, and this is the one application that... In uh, usurps all other applications, okay? What is that application? All eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us, fixing our eyes on him, right? That's what it's all about. You know, when I was first prompted with this idea of talking about worship during the Christmas time, one of the verses that just popped at me was Psalm 68.1 that says, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. <clears throat> let God arise and let his enemies <coughs> be scattered. <clears throat> it's, in, it's in worshiping that we get our eyes fixed in the right direction, <clears throat> that, that, we, that, that we turn around from our tendency of looking the opposite direction, the way of death and darkness, and we fix our eyes on the things that are of life and are of light. And that's a big part of what worship is. It's about refocusing. 
You know, I mean, come on. We get hammered by the cares of life. And just yesterday, Valerie kind of nudged me in, a, in, a, in her peaceful way and said, tell me some things, not with an elbow, <laughs> tell me some things that you're thankful for. Refocusing, right? But let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, almost paints a picture that as God is lifted up, as light is lifted up, darkness is diffused. And it's always the way it works. Light diffuses darkness. And you wonder sometimes if the prevalent darkness we're seeing in our country today is because God is not being lifted up in our nation as he once was. But we can't do anything about our nation. What about you? What about you and me together? Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Pursue light. Let darkness be diffused. So on this day, we present ourselves to God. Spirit, soul, and body. God, we give ourselves to you. We want to be set apart for your sacred purposes. And on this day, Lord, we recognize our tendency to want to keep looking back to the grave. But on this day, we're reminded never to go back the way we came but to keep our eyes fixed upon you. You're the one who saved us, and you're the one who's able to keep us. Lord, plant these truths in our hearts so that daily, moment by moment, they become who we are. Surrender to you, offerings to God, with our eyes fixed upon you. You're our hope. You're our strength. You're a light. You're a victory. We worship you. Hallelujah. He's our victory.